Welcome to the latest of the ASA podcast with me, Dr. Chris Keel. We had a question that came in a week or so ago and certainly worth delving into in a little bit more detail. I want to thank Andy Comfort from Anvil International and Smith Cooper International for asking this, also giving me an opportunity to go off on just an incredible tangent, but I will try to be restrained. He was asking about the tariffs and where they might end up and what they might look like under Biden as opposed to Trump. As we are all aware, the tariff plan was a big part of the Trump administration and it was a mixed success and really more failure than success. We're not really sure at this stage to what degree this would be copied under the Biden administration, but we have some clues. The challenge with tariffs is always the same. A tariff is a tax, and it's a tax that's paid by the consumer of the product that is being tariffed. So the way this was supposed to work, and the way it is always intended to work, is that it makes imported goods more expensive. So if you're a user of these goods, if you're an importer, you're now paying a tax to use that good. The idea is that this makes it a lot simpler for you to switch to a domestic source. You don't want to buy from overseas anymore because that costs you more money and therefore you will buy locally. That makes a couple of assumptions. One, it assumes that you'll be able to find the replacement in the United States as opposed to overseas. So you have an alternative. And the other assumption is that it is enough of a price difference to justify a shift. Um, Sometimes, even though there's a possibility to buy something locally, uh, there are reasons to do international anyway, and companies will just go ahead and absorb the tariff. It was something of a misnomer. It misled a lot of people when it was claimed that China was going to pay the tariff or some other country was going to pay the tariff. They don't. Indirectly, of course, it's conceivable that they lose business because if you get enough importers deciding to shift and not buying that product from overseas, then theoretically it hurts the economy. But it's indirect and, like I said, it's essentially a tariff on the user. The idea behind the steel and aluminum tariffs was to force more business back to the United States and The challenge there was that there are ways to get around the tariff, and lots of those those maneuvers were put in place. Right from the start, there was a bit of a challenge because majority of the steel and aluminum that comes into the United States does not come from China. China was like the number 13 or 14 importer into the U.S. The majority of our steel and aluminum came from places like Canada, Mexico, South Korea, Japan, Germany, Brazil, Turkey, uh, came from all over the place. Some of these countries we were kind of trying to target, others we weren't. So there were exemptions. There were from the very beginning uh, deals to exempt Canada and Mexico, and then they were not exempted, and they were exempted again. Then there were exemptions given to the British, and then there were exemptions given to Brazil, and then taken back again. It was very confusing, and this was one of the things that sort of upset the importers, saying, well, you know, one, we're paying an extra tax, but two, it's hard to figure out what exactly we're supposed to do. 
Going forward, it is unlikely that you'll see as much emphasis from the Biden administration on tariffs, partly because, as I said, they don't work as efficiently as we would like them to, and partly because he seems to have a different approach to working with allies. One thing that the United States has rarely done, um, don't really know why, because it's fairly common with other countries, is to really push trade promotion. Um, If you're trying to reduce your trade deficit, it's kind of done with two different tactics. One, of course, is to limit the number of imports coming in. The other is to increase the number of exports going out. I'll give you an example of something that has been commonly done by other countries. In this case, it was Germany. A number of years back, Angela Merkel was visiting Indonesia, and Indonesia was looking to get money from the Germans. They were kind of looking for aid and development packages and that kind of stuff, and that was why she was there. As she was getting off the airplane, she noticed that the Indonesians had driven up in a Lexus. So she stopped at the top of the steps and said, I am not getting off this airplane until you get rid of that stinking Japanese car. If you want money from the Germans, show up in a Mercedes. And then she pointed out that she had a number of German businessmen with her on that flight. And she said, if they are not happy in the next 48 hours, you're getting no money from me. And so it was sort of, you want money from Germany? Do business with Germany. If you want to do business with Japan, ask them for money. So we don't do that as often as other countries do. And I'm not really sure why, but I have a suspicion that may change a little bit. Um, Biden has complained about that kind of stuff in the past. In terms of trade policy in general, the Democrats have never been particularly happy about China. Um, They have always been more critical of China than Republicans traditionally. Now, that changed during the Trump administration because the Republicans were just as critical of China as the Democrats had been. The Democrats have always objected to human rights problems in China, the way they treat minorities, They've been concerned about the loss of jobs to China. Remember that many of the union supporters on the Democratic side have been upset with China for years. That's likely to continue to be a platform for Biden. Biden is not a free trader, never has been, um, really leans heavily towards that more populist part of the Democratic Party when it comes to trade. On the other hand, the people that he's been looking to appoint thus far have been fairly traditional foreign policy types and are likely to try to use negotiation and trade deals and that sort of thing to to get the desired impact. Final point on tariffs, and this is the problem that was pointed out by Andy. There are lots and lots of ways to subvert them. Um, The Chinese were really good, for example, at shipping steel to another country and then having somebody do something to it, and suddenly it was no longer Chinese steel, it was Malaysian steel, or it was Philippine steel, or it was somebody else's steel, and they weren't sanctioned. The other problem was that China started making things out of that steel rather than shipping the raw steel, And that was what irritated manufacturers in the United States because they're saying, well, great, we're not bringing in steel 
from the Chinese, but instead we're bringing in steel parts, which is hurting us a whole lot more than it's hurting the steel industry. So the bottom line is that it's, as always, very, very difficult to change behavior with taxing alone. We all know what we do with taxes. We do everything in our power to avoid them. We are twisted into all kinds of shapes because we're trying not to pay any more tax than we have to. Given the fact that a tariff is a tax, we behave the same way with it as we do with any other tax. So with that long-winded and way too detailed discussion about trade policy and tariffs, thank you. It's almost Thanksgiving as I do this podcast. Hopefully you'll be in the middle of the Thanksgiving break if you, when you listen to this. And frankly, if you're listening to this during the Thanksgiving break, just stop it. Um, go, go and do nothing except eat like a fool and read and listen to this stuff after the break is over. Thanks very much.